Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Beyonce, gadgets, and J.D. Salinger. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. Uh, my guest today is a former editor of Gawker, founder of uh, IRL Club, or as I like to call it, the IRL Club. I actually don't like to call it that. Um, and a current senior editor at New York Magazine and the uh, the leading voice of Select All, a brand new uh, technology and internet focused blog. Sure. Site. We on call it, we call on NewYorkMagazine.com or probably as part of NewYorkMagazine.com. I guess, yeah. of course, the beautiful, the illustrious, the sexy. Max Reed. Thank you, Josh. Max, what, thank you for coming. What an introduction. Well, I try. I mean, in in that, I don't have anything planned, and then I just say whatever I can think of quickly. Well, staring at me and you that, thought sexy, that means sexy. a lot. I, though I do describe sev- many guests as kind of like sexual or sexy, <laughs> so I might just, might just be a little bit of a go-to. Uh, thank you for doing this. Now, Max and I know each other socially. I'm going to admit that. Uh, yeah. Full disclosure, <laughs> we've spent some time uh, in social settings That's where we're not right. uh, you know, working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've never worked together. No, no, yeah, though. Full disclosure, we've never worked together. <laughs> full disclosure. Uh, um, but we've worked uh, in a similar industry. Yeah. And in <laughs> fact, I'm now, I am now at the at the head of a gadget blog, which is- what, Are you calling it a gadget blog? Sort of jokingly, yes. Yeah, because yeah. it gets reactions from people who used to run gadget well, blogs. Well, apparently gadget blogging is back. Yeah. Well, on Facebook. On Facebook only. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, here's my, here, here's all I have to say as far as gadget blogging is concerned. Okay. What's a gadget and what's a blog? You don't have to answer those. Those are more like put them out and I want them out in the atmosphere. Maybe if check you back. Wanna, if you want to answer them, you can. I think the the select all is going to answer those questions wow. itself just through very, its very existence. Very promotional. So select all <laughs> is select all. It was previously for several months in kind of like a uh, a larval form known, yeah. known as. Uh, following yeah so it was started uh we started in november of last year it was originally a uh what they what they call a pop-up blog in mm-hmm. new york which is one of these things where you get a sponsor to come in and essentially uh sponsor a month or two months worth of a blog editorial independent so we had two months in november and december and they were pretty successful people liked it uh people were reading it we, i can only imagine the reactions of new york magazine when they were like oh this is what happens when you write about technology on the internet <laughs> <laughs> My guess is it did pretty well. It did pretty well. I mean, Cause, you know, because New York Magazine doesn't have had previously did not have like a any kind of technology or internet component. I mean, not really. They've, they've written some very smart yeah. stories about the internet. Yeah, uh, but you know, like Jessica Pressler has written some really great stuff. Yeah, and Kevin Roos. Kevin Roos is prior great. To, to Adrian that. Chen has written some stuff. Never heard of him. Uh, David Wallace Wells does some excellent technology stuff. For He's the magazine. great. He's great. Um, but yeah, and you know, they liked it. I they felt like, and I felt like we were sort of finding a voice and doing something that wasn't really being done elsewhere and fit in very well with what New York Magazine, the the sort of uh, institutional voice and the ethos. And, yeah, and so the vibe. They we decided to turn it into a, a permanent thing. And you uh, changed the name. Yeah, uh, I mean, following initially was, and the name reflected this kind of a very lifestyle-focused, like experience-focused site, uh, particularly about the internet and social media. And we decided that we wanted this to be about technology in a much broader sense. Mm-hmm. And following and the culture of technology, yeah, um, at that at that intersection of technology <laughs> oh, yeah. and culture. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the that phrase actually? Because the Verge can used we that. since I fucking invented it. I would love to talk about it. <laughs> well, so Mashable been using it for a long time now. Not as long as we've 
been using it. You guys had it first. Absolutely. Were you the originator of the intersection between technology and culture? I believe so. Yeah, you're willing I mean, to take maybe the, maybe P. Cashmore will be like, hey, hold on, mate, or whatever he would say, because <laughs> I think he's not uh, from the U.S. Um, um, I'm fairly certain that that was our... Right. That Should was we, our baby. I mean, this is like the, the phrase is a joke around gadget bloggers at this point because mm. it is at this point basically meaningless. <laughs> a little I mean, cliche. <laughs> well, the, the, when I want, really want to like kill the metaphor dead, I'm say, I say, you know, well, it's not really an intersection anymore. It's basically the same street. Mm. So, oh, wow. Know, okay. Right. So, and then if you really want to kill the metaphor dead, the big difference between us and the verge is the verge is coming from the technology end of the street and we're coming from the culture end of the street. I guess if you say so. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, uh, Obviously, I'm not at The Verge, so I can't sure. comment on which direction they're coming <laughs> from. Uh, there is obviously a ton of culture coverage there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, culture coverage from that perspective or viewpoint doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you're actually meeting at the intersection. No, no and it's also, it's a little like, different. I'm sorry, but, like, reviewing, sorry, not to cut you no, off. No, 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 please. But, you know, like, reviewing the new Beyonce record no. isn't actually, I mean, <laughs> not. I don't even know if The Verge did it. But it's not actually at the intersection of technology and culture. No, it's not. It's just like a culture thing. Yeah. A, that's a music review. Right. It's that's sort of crafted on top of a yeah. culture site. And but, I think there is a little more nuance to it. No. And I think I mean, what we do or what we try to do is write about technology as a culture, technology as an experience, as like a human experience. Right. Um, and, that's what, and that was the idea with The Verge. Right. Um, was, I mean, the basic idea, and this is an idea that I still feel very strongly about, is that it, um, and we actually had to unlearn is that a word? I don't think it is. Yeah. We had to unlearn a lot of bad habits from our AOL and gadget days sure. where we were doing straight up gadget blogging, yeah. which was very like feeds and speeds, like nuts and bolts, like what, how is this screen? What's the resolution of the screen? That kind of stuff. And in the first year, we had been, we, I've probably told this story a hundred times. Like if you've listened to this, you've probably heard this story. Like uh, this, this is the 51st episode of tomorrow and I've told this story 49 times. Um, <laughs> But we cut back on what we actually were producing by like 25 or 35%. Yeah. Like we were just like cranking out these like gadget posts and just like rando shit. You know, like we weren't doing routers, but we were doing things that we had, we thought we had to do because it felt like we had done it and our audience wanted it. But then what it turned out was like what the audience really responded to was much more of the, um, what is it? Why does it matter? Yeah. Who made it? Like what's happening next? Like that totally. stuff was a lot more interesting. Or, you know, when even when we did pieces like, Sorry, this is me talking about myself now, and I feel kind of no, no, no. Even though you're, you've entered my no, space. No, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you've I'm, entered our space. So and, you sort right, of, I'm, I'm sitting at the expect? foot of the master, waiting. Really for, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving all of the lessons. That is good shit. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, we did stories like the history of of uh, dubstep. Right. Uh, we did stuff like you know the story about a face transplant and things right. that were were like not really even in. What they really felt like was there's a culture mm-hmm. that is the lens and the mirror of the culture is technology. Like this is like the, this generation sees the world differently. And can we tell stories from like around from that, how that generation sees the world and what yeah. they're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, to me, it's also, I think that people, and this has always been true, you know, lifestyle coverage, sort of coverage about how people live tends to get kind of laughed at and overlooked, I think. But I think people really like, to know, they like to have voiced the way they are living their own lives. Right. And if you can articulate, if you're a good writer or a good editor, if you have the right ideas, if you're a, if you're a smart critic of culture, if you're able to go in there and say, you know, well, look, isn't it interesting that we're all, you know, undertaking this particular behavior right now and here's what this means or maybe means or doesn't mean. Right. I, I think you're doing a service to people. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, you know, I agree. I think that, I think that um, increasingly... 
like what I'm desirous of from the from the thing from the outlets that I read or from the the people that I read or watch or whatever you know interact with in some you know yeah meerkat or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm what I want is is for somebody to ask questions that other people aren't asking totally, and to look at a look at a uh, a cultural um, happening or um, a, a a person in our culture or a, a thing in our culture and say like. How, have we looked at it this way? Have we talked about it this way? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and I think there's a, there's not that much of it. No, and, and a lot of like X Men trailer, five things about the X Men trailer. Yeah. Like that's a it's pretty typical. <laughs> and the truth <laughs> is, all the all the to me, all the exciting stuff in culture is happening on technology or around technology that's or right. you know through technology. That's right. Just look at Beyonce's new album, for instance. It was uh, released in a horrible way on title and then re released <laughs> on. I mean, but you know what? Actually, so Beyonce is a really good example of. Her her album technically has nothing to do with technology in the no. sense that like it's not like she used a new synthesizer to make it or <laughs> no. you know like had some incredible like version of like you know a sample that it, you know anyhow. But what's interesting is like we can talk about what scarcity means and yeah. what exclusivity means sure. and in the age of technology where you know physical the physicality of an object doesn't is no yeah. longer a limitation and this is an ongoing conversation that i think is really interesting that directly impacts everybody who is like like alive and a consumer right now it's like what does it mean when everything is basically you can replicate it and it you can get it for free yeah and uh exclusivity kind of doesn't exist i mean this is the kanye is doing the most interesting stuff with this i think with you know on title he's got and the uh, worst <laughs> the most interesting and the worst well i mean the it i'll is, explain why i'm well I, I i'm interested to hear but okay. the the it's fascinating to me the extent to which he's like essentially treating life of pablo as a video game or a piece of software yeah. and patching it and de- and he's like it the only know, the only well ahead. no i mean it, it it annoys me to the extent that like you know, the same way that George Lucas and the special edi- the Star Wars special editions annoyed me, I'm I'm giving Kanye the benefit of the doubt f- for now because his patches are actually improving the album, at least to Myers. Disagree. Okay, and is that why you're annoyed by it? Well, I think here's the deal: you want to create an evolving work. Totally. I mean, listen, it's his discretion. He's the artist. Yeah. But I think if we really are talking about like the album as a new kind of product, if like you are going to make revisions to it. I think you should offer revision history. Yeah. And I should be able to go back and look yeah. at like the original version of Fade versus the new version of Fade. One's better. <laughs> it's the original. Well, it's actually, I don't know if it's the original. It's the first one that I heard on title. Mm-hmm. But f- like, unfortunately, right. I can't say what version of that that was because I don't know when Kanye changed the version. Yeah. So like in one way, it's like kind of an amazing piece of art that he's even doing it. Yeah. It's extremely annoying. Right. On the other hand, I unsubscribed to Tidal and I listen to it on Spotify now. Oh, yeah. I mean, so whatever that version is, <laughs> is, as far as I'm concerned, the version. Well, that's the thing. He's is- not re-releasing tracks on Spotify. No. Because, it, because that fucks with his bottom line. Right. And... <laughs> And like we could talk for, by the way, for days probably about how Kanye was like, I'm never releasing this on Apple Music or Spotify. <laughs> and then literally like two weeks two later, weeks later. <laughs> it was released on Apple Music and Spotify. <laughs> because like at the end of the day, like he is $53 million in debt. Yeah. Well, and and Beyonce, you know, it ended up off of Tidal and onto Apple Music and Spotify within um, two days. Tidal is, but first off, she's got real motivation because yeah. Jay-Z fucked around on her. <laughs> I think as far as we can tell, and that's like Jay-Z's baby. Yeah. And so she's got to get the fuck away from it. Yeah. I mean, Beyonce is, that's like another, 
slap in the face yeah. to him <laughs> on top of an entire record about his cheating ass uh, right about his infidelity <laughs> yeah well it's to it's to have right? it because that's a lot of the record is about on, that from what i can tell i mean i don't do you think i don't want to read into it well right how much I'm of it do you think right is here as an expert of beyond okay, ryan. <laughs> ryan do you think that it's autobiographical um he knew everything she was going to say and he had he he he's one of the people that signed off on the record entirely. She's so fucking I think Beyonce. He knew going, I don't think he can like be like no. Well, no, but I think I think he knew going out like this half fifty percent of this is autobiographical stuff we're airing, and fifty percent of this is a continuation of the storyline we had with the Mister and Mrs. Carter World Tour stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's like this is gonna make so much money. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's like you want to use our personal life No. I think the I think the millions and millions of dollars will soften the blow yeah. of being exposed Obviously. in this way. I mean the bullshit Pomo dumb thing is like her like her business, you could say her art or her business is her life, is her personal life. Yeah. And the album is a promo for the rest of that. Like, you know, at the end of the day she's making money off of the tours, she's making money off of sponsorship, she's not making money off of Spotify plays or Apple Music downloads. Not yeah. a lot of money. It's a pretty good record. It's a I think unrelated. It's a great unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I love it, man. I was like, yeah, I was okay, so I'm not this is I probably shouldn't say this. Say it. I'm not that big of a Beyonce fan. I haven't really been okay. like <laughs> Ryan's like, I quit. This is a guy who has power like, over how your voice is gonna sound. I just I just I just haven't you know, I thought formation was in was like the first interesting thing that I've heard in a while. Wasn't the last record like about how it was much like she loves sex Jay-Z, record? Yeah. It was like no, the, but she's also like she goes back and forth. There's like a pendulum. I mean, to me that one of the interesting things is like the, you know, now that we've completely abandoned the idea that recorded music is gonna make money in and of itself, you see stars like Kanye and Beyonce say feeling a lot more free to make records that have no singles have you seen her active active wear i have seen the active wear line i mean i don't i'm not an active wear uh i am expert. i'm an active wear right now <laughs> people don't realize that i'm in a pair of uh bike cycling shorts and a tank top what is it called again park something park i can't remember what beyonce's line is called you should look into it i don't know if they make it in your size we got a peloton you familiar with the Peloton bike? <laughs> yes. And I rode it for the first time the other day. And? It was amazing, but uh, boy, that seat. Yeah. It's, uh, it did a number on it's, you. Uh, it's uh, hard. You walked a little funny. You <laughs> walked a little funny. It's later. like really hard on the, on the it's sphincter. Yeah. yeah on the, <laughs> it's hard on a part of your body that normally doesn't get a lot of attention. Let's put yeah. it that way. <laughs> Depends on your life. I guess. You know what? <laughs> That's very true. Anyhow, getting back to technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting back to technology culture. So you launched Select All, yeah, and uh, and this was on Wednesday. This was on Wednesday of this yeah. week. This will air on uh, Monday. People can so visit. This will have NY been Mag. last week. Yeah. It was launched. Yeah, nymag.com forward slash Select All. You select don't get selectall.com. We got selectall.com. Really? Too. Yeah. What'd that cost? Do you know? I don't. That, they Pretty don't, penny. Yeah. They don't tell me. New York Magazine, they got money to blow on, <laughs> on URLs. Um, anyhow, so it's actually, uh, here's what I will say. And I've, you know, I had been reading, following, obviously. I've been following it. Uh, yes. Nailed it. As you're supposed to. Slam dunk. I think this thing is over. <laughs> Pack it up. Ryan, we're good. Um, it's, it's good. It's smart. It's interesting. I think it has a, a distinct vibe that is... Um, it feels of the internet, very like clearly of the internet, and uh, like a part of like the fabric of the internet, which I like a lot. It feels um, like granola y in the best way. <laughs> when I talk about like my my best and favorite things that like are publications, it's like the granola of like these weird little bits and pieces that all fit together and make like a delicious. Oh, that's such a good metaphor. Breakfast. Yeah. My no, I actually think like the best magazine or publication is like 
there's some almonds, there's some granola, and there's like a raisin in there. Maybe you have some fruit, a little <laughs> honey drizzled on top. There's maybe you're going for the yogurt. It's mm-hmm. so all these things that right, really shouldn't go together, but yeah. they, when you get in your mouth, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. So, um, so it feels that way, and it, it's not like a one track like we just do. So I wouldn't call it a gadget blog if I were no, to. no. I mean, I, one, I know it's funny to you, but the gadget blog. You know, now you've also, got a big, you've got a big public. You've got a, you know, yeah. The, no, no, the, it's uh, it's not technology. just a gadget blog. It's about how we live online. I mean, that was what the tagline was. And we're adding a lot of tech coverage. We have pieces. We had a piece by the great Brian Parrott, former editor-in-chief of Gizmodo. The great. The the great Brian One of the greats. I love Brian. I think Brian's one of the great. I don't know him, but... uh... <laughs> I've, this is the first time I've heard anybody say the great. I, you should I'm not talk saying to he's some, not great. Oh, you should talk to some. I mean, Gizmodo writers who. I'm not dissing Brian. him. <laughs> I just want to be Brian. If you're listening, I want to be clear. That wasn't meant as a diss. Um, you know, so we have all this sort of consumer tech coverage that we're trying to figure out how that. Uh, you know how how New York Magazine readers are going to want that and how we can do. Yeah, how it do they it want it? Because they're like, um, they're like they're at brunch. <laughs> they have like a. They're smart, sophisticated. They're like, they're like uh, you know, they're wearing glasses at brunch. I mean, and if if that's if they have you know eye problems, they do. Sure. They yeah, do. If they have bad vision. They do. You're saying all New York magazines. All New York. Have bad I'd like. Vision. I'd like to see them. I mean, I'd love to see a demo. I'd like to see some demo on this. But my guess glasses is like readers. a pretty high percentage of New York magazine readers also wear glasses. I mean, in print, that's probably true. It's an <laughs> older such a readership. fucked up generalization. <laughs> but yet, I feel in my heart that it's true. Um, the. Uh, I mean, you know, like people still need even even if you disparage sort of like you know gadget blogging. What did you call it? You had a, a, a phrase for this, uh, something in specs or feeds, feeds and, and speeds. speeds. Yeah, that used to be like, that was like a Steve Jobs diss. Ah. he would be like, I think he was like, oh, you know, they care about feeds and speeds, but we don't. <laughs> right. So that stuff is not interesting to New York Magazine readers. It's not interesting to anybody who's not like a serious gadget enthusiast. But people do want to know how they can make their lives better using actual tech. Right. And this is this has been true. Like magazines have always done this. New York Magazine has strategists. It 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 it's a useful buying guide, a useful consumer guide. So so it's a question of how do we write good writing that helps people you know, know how to improve their lives. Um, and I think that, I think that we can do that. I think that it's, it's, people are so burned out on, you know, 15 years of, of boring old, you know, feeds and speeds gadget yeah, yeah, blogging yeah, yeah. that they don't think enough about well, what kind of I, writing. What I thought was good about the wire cutter, your old uh, buddy, uh, Brian, Wait, did you know Brian? I mean, do you guys, work uh, I mean, all? we've met a couple times. I don't, that's so interesting. That's so interesting to me. Cause I think of all the Gawker people's like, <laughs> they all are buddies. Weirdly. I didn't, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with a lot of the Gizmodo writers, yeah. ex Gizmodo like, writers, well, like, but, like Matt Buchanan yeah. mm-hmm. and John, John Herman, Herman and, uh, John Mahoney, Dan sure, Rossowitz. Right. But those oh guys God, are guys. So many of them. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot really, of them, like, right? And also so many in like the circle <laughs> of people that you and I both know. Um, but like, I think of Brian as being part of that, but he's actually not like, that's a totally different generation. No. Yeah. I mean, he was there. Joel, Joel is part of that generation. Yeah, Joel has Joel spanned Johnson, all generations. Who was recently on the podcast? Um, yeah, and uh, but I thought, uh, sorry to say about you the were wire, talking about the water cutter. Yeah. Well, what I thought was good about it is like, and 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 uh, we also were sort of evolving this at the verge, where it was like it's less about like this phone does this, and more about like okay, you know, you need a phone. Yeah, how can we help you? Which one yeah. should you? Because like seriously, they're all kind of the same. Like totally. which one is the best one for you? Right. It's the iPhone usually is the answer. <laughs> For most right. people, it's the iPhone. Although I have to say, I've met some people recently in my life who I'm like, surprised they're Android users. <laughs> I don't want to get into this debate, but I'm sure. like, that's weird. You're yeah. an Android user. Well, who who in your life are you surprised about? I can't name names. Oh, are we, but this people is who a, are like, people who are like, uh, you know. Um, important? Not important. Like, 
people who work at large businesses doing mm-hmm. like relatively like sort of executive level jobs. Yeah. Where I'm like, you're obviously an iPhone person. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I like this launcher. What, I have an HTC and I like this launcher. What are they, what are their, what models, like what uh, phones do they have? HTC. Yeah. Uh, Samsung, obviously. Obviously. Cor- you know, Corey Sika, who is now at Vox. Yeah. Um, who was previously all founder and a former Gawker editor. Mm-hmm. You guys share that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, tweeted the other day, like not the other day, but a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I'm on, I finally happened. I'm on a train and everybody has a Samsung. <laughs> I was like, are you on a train in Korea? Like, <laughs> but like, but honestly, there is like, it is funny. You do see, I mean, it, it's kind of like, but who gives a shit? Yeah. That's the important point. And that's why like technology culture we all live in the technology itself is actually like relatively boring so the most interesting uh like like samsung or or android versus uh ios story i read recently was uh caroline moss who is formerly of tech insider great talent yeah incredibly funny smart writer and editor and she uh she, her boyfriend, who is a uh, this writer, Dan Nosowitz, who's written for me, and they're both friends. <laughs> we're just the worst. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Dan's um, great. He's a lovely man. Dan has an Android phone. Um, yeah, that's right. I can't he remember a shitty, He has a No, no, it's not shitty. He actually has a, he's a nice he's, one. He's an LG G4 is what he yeah. has. <laughs> oh, yeah, and by the way, we went to Katie Natopoulos, who's been on the show several times and is also my sister-in-law, had a birthday party, and Dan was there with his phone, and I was like, oh, you have an LG G4. He's like, you're literally the only person who would know that. And that's probably true. It's important that your podcast readers know that you still haven't lost the touch. It's still I, there. <laughs> I can. I actually, can I just say something totally like, an aside to this? I One of my great joys in life, and probably one of the great annoyances to Laura and to other people who dine with me, <laughs> is that I'm like very fascinated by the phones that people have and i'm mm. always looking at people like i'm trying to figure out like what phone is that like one of my great hobbies in life is i'm out somewhere and somebody's like sure. using a phone and it, obviously an iphone you can spot right off the bat yeah but increasingly like, there's a wide variety like i see people with the um uh the n plus one or whatever it's called. not n plus one what is the <laughs> that's a magazine <laughs> what is the phone called the plus one uh yeah the uh what the fuck is the actual name of that phone um, it's just called the plus one I thought the yeah maybe it's just called N plus one. one is a great pu- magazine if you'd like to read yeah uh, literate assholes <laughs> but but uh, I'm like oh what is this phone and I'm like oh it's a plus one which is like that's a hobby for me <laughs> okay anyhow so well, Dan well, was wait, impressed I, with my I want to know well so I've, well we'll get back to that in a sec so the the story I liked is Caroline Dan's got this decent android phone and caroline still G4. has her lg g4 and caroline still has her iphone and the story that she wrote wasn't about the feeds and speeds it wasn't a specs thing it was literally i'm annoyed as hell with my boyfriend because yes. texting him is a fucking nightmare. yes yes this is the listen i would be i would be a full-time android user this is the truth yeah not that i don't love apple and their products but i there's something I, I look. I'm a person who likes fucking with things. Yeah, Android is the. You really can't fuck with the iPhone. It's. The, I mean, no. it's just like it's just like this is how it works, and this is <laughs> you're just gonna have to. If you want to do something weird, you're gonna have to jump through some weird hoop. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna have to get Geo Hots to like, you know, get like hot. You know, like he's gonna have to solder something onto your phone or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna do some serious googling. There's gonna be a lot of Stack yeah, Overflow yeah. threads. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna, gonna you're gonna jailbreak it. They're like, don't update your phone. Don't update your phone. <laughs> Do not update to iOS 9.3.1 or it'll break your jailbreak. It's like you can tell I've lived this. Anyhow, but like iMessage yeah. is the unifying platform for everybody that I know, including my parents now. Yeah. Like I was, my father had this flip phone. My father had this phone. He, 
it's like it opens like a switchblade. He had it for years. It's like I don't know what it's called. I can't think. So speaking of phones, I don't know the name of. But I, I had this fucking phone. Like he got an Android phone, and then he was like, "No, I don't want this." And he went back to this thing that literally opens like a switchblade. That's oh all I could God. say. And I was like, "You need to get a real phone." Like, this is, you're, you're Are you terror- talking about the Samsung Juke? That like no, it's not the Juke. Uh, it might be the Juke. It might be. It, he was terrorizing the whole family. Yes, that's the phone. <laughs> the Samsung Juke yes, <laughs> on Verizon, and I was like, "You're terrorizing our family. Your your you know your wife is Liz. She's gonna leave you. Like we just please get on iMessage. Like you just need to be able to text like a normal person." And so I, I like literally bought him an iPhone. I'm like, "We're going to Verizon. <laughs> I'm putting you on." Here. You know? well, but like, so you now we're all trapped. The family together. We're, we're right, fucking exactly. trapped. It's BBM all over again. And I'm I mean I'm in like I have to say too something that's really good for apple is i a huge amount of my of activity that used to be like on twitter or even facebook is now in group i messages i'm yeah. you know i'm in like you know five or six group i they got you friends. no they got you and and you know so long as that is that is how i'm spending lots of my day right i can't leave the iphone it sucks it's yeah. so annoying also i messages isn't that good no it's like it kind of doesn't work that no well. well and the whole thing is the thing for me is it's like it's terrible but it was so much worse two years ago that you you've like fooled yourself into yeah, thinking that like, it works no. it's like, like i'm getting my messages <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> don't, you, don't you feel like app buy-in is the because for me iMessage is a thing but like at least they've integrated where you can sync your mms to your computer i feel like i have so i have four hundred dollars in apps that i'm not willing to walk away from even for like a <laughs> well, free that phone is a, right. that is a real thing i mean nobody's like yeah i mean you have to rebuy like um uh, Clash of Kings or what? All, all of your like whatever your there are things you can buy on Clash of Kings, gold or something. I'm sure. <laughs> you know you're like oh shit I'm not gonna buy this gold again. <laughs> I already bought all this gold. Well, I true. can't leave my you know phone what? because was... of the digital gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're laughing about it, but it's fucking true. Oh, there's a I, whale. No, out I, there. I bought like I bought um some Candy Crush shit. Mm-hmm. Out of like the thing, I swore I'd never do is like spend money on in-app purchases in Candy Crush. It's more like I'm waiting for a train, and I need I need something positive to happen in my life. Yeah, and I can't get past a I cannot like get it through a level of Candy Crush, which I haven't played in a long time. Uh-huh. But like, then I went back to I went to an Android phone. I'm like, oh yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, none of my shits here. I'm on level one. <laughs> I played to level like 128. Now I'm on level one. Yeah. It's a nightmare. I, At any rate, that's how they get you. That's called platform lock. And it's the worst yeah. thing that has mm-hmm. happened to us in the past uh, 10 years. And every platform, I've written about this recently in the New Yorker, every platform, especially though, like a platform like Facebook wants you to be yeah. part of that platform and never leave. Yeah. And I mean, so what would your solution be like a, a a user's bill of rights kind of a thing? Like, a you know, get, you can get your data out no yeah. matter what. No, and it's not about data. The data is just like sits there like, what yeah. are you going to do with your fucking data? My solution is interoperability as a, as a basis for how we yeah. build a digital, uh, like a digital universe or ecosystem. Like what is... What is great for Apple but bad for its users is that it doesn't want people to use a different email client yeah. than its mail client. And like that's fine if you have if Apple's if every one of Apple's like ideas about design and an interface work for you, but they don't work for a lot of people. And so yeah. for a user, you're like locked into this weird fucking game of hopscotch or whatever right. over or around Apple's shit and it's not very good and so like at the end of the day like if we're really honest with ourselves and if Apple's really honest with itself it thinks it provides the best user experience but only if like only you, if you buy in entirely only if you're like Apple's user experience ideas right. are the best and they're not no 
They're not all the time. And, and it's not just that they're not the best. It's that like it, the the cloud service stuff they 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 still haven't figured out. So you know if you even if you get on iCloud, even yeah. if you buy into the mail, oh my app god, and the mail it's thing, fucking terrible. The email sucks. Here's the here's do yourself a favor. Mm-hmm. As a man who's been using Keynote a lot lately, <laughs> do a deck in Keynote or something, okay? Oh and then wait for it to sync to one of your other fucking devices. Like make it on your do it on your laptop and then wait for it to sync to your iPad. You're not like opening it up from the cloud. Definitely. It has to send the data over and dump it into a drive, a magical. You know, it's funny, like when Steve Jobs went out and talked about um, iCloud originally. Yeah. He's like, a lot of people think of the cloud as some hard drive in the sky. And we don't think of it that way. And it's like, no, actually, you think of it exactly that way. And everybody else thinks of it the other way. It's, a, it's, one, of those, it's one of those weird things where, anyhow, okay, we got to get off this tech conversation. Okay, we've just lost... So many of my new culture listeners. <laughs> we need to get to the intersection of culture. Right. We need to finally Actually, find Actually, we don't have culture. to. Let's talk about it. Oh, you know, we should take a break. Uh, we have some words from our sponsors. Let's they, do it. Keep the, uh, keep the, uh, what do you, what do they keep? They keep the um, Pro Tools running. <laughs> Anyhow, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more from Max Reed. Let me introduce you to our sponsor, FrontPoint. FrontPoint is a modern home security system backed by the highest rated service in the business. FrontPoint uses 100% cellular equipment, making it one of the hardest security systems to defeat in the industry. FrontPoint uses only wireless equipment, making it simple and easy to set up. And FrontPoint's mobile app even lets you keep tabs on your home from anywhere. I mean, you could be in, uh, you could be in Paris, you could be in London, Dubai, you can configure the app to send text or email alerts when your daughter gets home from school, your daughter or son, uh, or your uh, when your spouse arms the alarm at the end of an evening, you know, so you can know that your spouse is uh, keeping things tight, uh, even while you're away on business. I mean, especially while you're away on business. Let's be honest. You want to know what your spouse is up to when you're out of town. Uh, Frontpoint combines the high-tech security with great customer service and has received more five-star and A-rated customer reviews on sites like Angie's List and Trustpilot than their competitors. Don't be a fool. Go to frontpoint.com slash tomorrow to get your free quote on a Frontpoint system today. You may be eligible for up to $300, 300 US dollars in discounts. That's frontpoint.com slash tomorrow. Listen, Mother's Day is quickly approaching. And if you're like me, uh, you can never figure out what to give your mother let alone where to get it. You know, the thing about Mother's Day is I always forget that it's happening. And then I realize like the day before, I'm like, oh my God, or two days before, I'm like, oh my God, Mother's Day. And I've done nothing. I've gotten no gift. It's, you know, and it's very troubling for everybody, especially for me and for my mother, frankly. Uh, luckily, there's a great new app called Giftogram. Giftogram lets you send anyone a unique and thoughtful gift with only three clicks of your smartphone. Ryan, my new producer, uh, just told me that he used Giftogram to send his mom a gift, and it took him like less than a minute, which seems insane to me, but uh, he's not a liar, so I'm going to have to take him at his word. Look, you simply choose a gift from the curated categories, and you uh, select contact on your phone, and you hit send. The gift goes off to them. And here's the magic. You don't even need a mailing address to send a gift. Giftogram asks the receiver for their preferred address, and the gift is in their hands in three to five business days. I mean, that's amazing. That's insane. You know? That's like magic. I mean, that is like a, 
uh, sorcerer comes to your house and is like, I want to, you know, just say who you're going to give a gift to. And he does some things with his hand and he's got, a, he's wearing a hat. Maybe he has a long gray beard. And the next thing you know, that person has a gift. This is some Gandalf level stuff we're talking about here. This is a Gandalf scenario that you're going to put yourself into. Uh, the gift selection for uh, your mother is second to none. You can find modern gifts like banging olfs and Bluetooth speakers or more traditional gifts like a three-month flower subscription uh, from the, the Books. I think Books is short for bouquets. I could be wrong. I'm no expert. Uh, you can send one to your mom anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. So Canadians are included, which I think is very nice. So here's the best part. Listeners of tomorrow can get $20 off their first gift on Giftogram. Just download the Giftogram app on your iPhone or Android device and enter the gift code tomorrow. Thank you, Giftogram, for your support. You guys are helping keep tomorrow in business, which is really lovely. And to the listeners of tomorrow, take a look at it. You know, you've got moms. They need gifts. Giftogram is there. They're making life a little easier for you. Just accept it. We're back with Max Reed of select all. All right, let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about a topic that's going to make you very uncomfortable and <laughs> unhappy. Uh, you had a huge controversy at Gawker about a story that you published uh, that a lot of people did not like. Yeah. And I said, here's your chance, Max. This is your chance, this podcast, to uh, say, to apologize to the to everyone for publishing that story. I know you're not going to because, uh, but I am curious, like, I, you know, like I... I'll be honest. I think you're a great guy. I think you're Thank super you. smart. I love what you do. I do. I disagree on that story. Like, I don't think yeah. that story should have existed. I don't think it should have been published. Yeah. But but you have been dealing with like when did that when did that story go up? This is and just to be clear, if you don't know, I'm sorry to bring up. Like, I know this is like you're not you're, you know <laughs> no, love no. <laughs> this, but it was a story about a, a the Conde Nast CFO. I don't even was he the CFO at the time. I mean, I, we given the. Do you know yes. what I'm going to say specifically? No, no. I mean, he was. It was a. It was I'm a Conde Nast executive. It. Yeah, uh, who, who had been having. Who had some kind of weird affair with a dude, and he was married and had kids. And anyhow, yeah. and at the time, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to judge you here, even though the tone of my voice is, I think, very <laughs> highly judgmental. Uh, Gawker thought it was like a story worth publishing, mm -hmm. and as the editor of Gawker, you obviously had your hands all yeah, over it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your uh, sweaty, nasty hands, all you know, my gossipy dirty, little hands. Yeah, yeah. gossipy little <laughs> Trump esque hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, obviously, it was highly controversial. It was, you know, yeah. lots of people disagree with the publishing of it. Yeah, um, you it certainly initially stood by the publishing of it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force you into any, uh, you know, saying you don't. But I will say this. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to let you off the hook. No. I'll let you talk about it in a minute. But I do think, and Joel, Joel Johnson, I talked about this a little bit, but you know, Gawker has a way of, of getting the Gawker, from what I can tell from an outsider's perspective, uh, the world of Gawker is a place where it has a way of letting people like go one toke over the line because that's like the business was built on going one toke over the line, right? Yeah. And like, did you feel... I don't want to ask a loaded question, but <laughs> like, did you feel 100% confidence when you published that? Like, this is a slam dunk? Uh, it's, a, <laughs> if that's a a, no, it's, it's a hard question. It's also a hard question to answer because slam dunk at Gawker means something a little different than it does. You know, you're playing kind of a different game. What does it mean? Um, well, 
I mean, so here's the thing. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm like Maury Povich or something. <laughs> I'm, well, so I'm, I'm wary of getting too deep into the weeds on like mm. what Gawker is and what it does because I know that most people just they don't give a shit. They right. they thought the story sucked and they thought the story was gross and right. creepy. And That's I right. totally understand That's that. Right. And you know, I'm not interested in like trying to justify it by saying, well, you need to understand the state of media in 2015 to really know what was going on with that. But I, do you believe that? Believe what? That you need to understand the state of media in 2015 to know what was going on with it? I, I don't think you need to understand the state of media in 2015 to have thought that story sucked. I think you need to understand the state of media in 2015 to understand like how that's how that turned into what it did. Do you think, less? okay, let me challenge you. Do you think you need to understand the state of media in 2015 to understand how it happened? Or do you think you need to understand the state of Gawker in 2015 to understand how it oh, happened? Oh, I think, I think it's the same thing. I oh, think, really? I think, well, I think no, Gawker, I, don't know. I think Gawker, I would challenge that. <laughs> well, see again already, I'm, I'm getting into the, like I'm, it, I don't, don't want to feel weeds. like I'm justifying it, but no, no, let me say don't. this. Like, or there's do, a sense, I don't care. What you say is right a little bit about the tug over the line. I think the expectation of Gawker versus at, uh, most publications is that the editors push the writers and not the other way around. Um, and it's not that at every publication writers push editors or vice versa, but I think at a lot of places the editor's job is to kind of be the person who says, oh, well, we got to make sure that this, you know, is cleared by everybody. Got to kick it up to standards. Yeah, exactly. Sure. sure. And I think that at Gawker, it's sort of like, well, we're supposed to be, as you say, uh, we were supposed to be uh, provocative and controversial. We were supposed to say things that everybody knew, but that people felt too afraid to say. Right. Like that was the stated mission. We were supposed to be saying, you know, the things that journalists talk about over beers at a bar or whatever. And part of that involves the editor instead of being like oh well, we can't say that because we need to maintain this relationship or we can't say that because we don't want to deal with the bullshit the editor is saying no we got to we got to do everything we got to go for it and it's not i'm not even saying about this specific case i'm saying about the general culture of it overall like specifically with respect to my role like right is to be saying we have to be chasing these we have to be doing this we have to be following this even if people hate us there's a certain kind of story let's say that this thing smelled like that kind of story and that's a story that you pursue yeah. because there's a Gawker has a an ethos which is sure. like expose the say the things that other people won't say. Yes. And, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean like cross lines for the sake of crossing the lines. No, but it's a it's blurry enough <laughs> that it the feels line is blurry. Sometimes. Well, and right. I will say this like when I when I'm saying like the slam dunk is different for a bunch of different people is that the way Gawker has always operated is that it says it will publish Right, and actually, the Hulk Hogan tape is a good example of this uh, stuff that the vast majority of the public genuinely believes is abhorrent, believes shouldn't be allowed to be published, right. hates. Right. But that Gawker has positioned itself uh, with not necessarily a fan base, but a group of sort of defenders within the influence and influential, particular influential media sphere that allows it to. Uh, sort of persist in doing that to keep pushing those boundaries and I think the thing about this story last year and this is what I mean about the slam dunk is that this was the story that nobody was willing to defend there was nobody sitting there being like none of the people who would typically defend a Gawker story were like you know what there's a reason this should exist exactly and now and that and so it's the, like you know Gawker found its hard limit. Yeah, the dam broke. I mean, seriously. And that was sort of that was the end of it. And it, I think there's like there's obvious there's there's reasons related to the story itself, and there's reasons related to the current culture. But like the at the end of the day, like we we I I oversaw the publication of an indefensible story, and I regret it hugely. And you know that was it was it was the end of my career, at Gawker. Have you said you regret it before? Not publicly. Is this something so this, that you, I can, yeah, is this you a can bankable say, yeah, moment? Publicly. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Max Reed filled with regret over his publishing of a yeah. 
story on an uh, innocent <laughs> man who had uh, nothing to hide. Um, uh, no, but but so you know, it's interesting. I I think um, I think that the thing about this, I understand. I totally understand it. I I also understand. Uh, the reaction of a lot of Gawker editors to the pushback from the yeah. public because Gawker's used to getting tons of pushback from the public on stories that end up actually having merit. Like, I think it's important to note, and by the way, I don't, there's not like, I'm like a Gawker fanboy. I'm definitely <laughs> far away from that. <laughs> but it's important to say like, Gawker has actually done some really important, really interesting journalism in the last, I mean, how long has Gawker been in business? T- 10 years, 12 years? Yeah, something like that. 12 it's years. been a long time. Yeah. Um, Gawker's done some really good shit. And important shit and interesting yeah. shit. And so, like, it's easy to forget that um, while everybody's pissed off about this story and a couple of other stories, there's actually been – there's a real history of doing interesting things. But but also, like, I think that what's interesting to consider about Gawker is that it is really – the it is the tabloid of the 21st century in that its level of exposure is so much deeper – Okay, so if reality television is the tel- is the new television of the 21st century, mm-hmm. like if we had like regular scripted television for 100 years and then reality television kind of broke through as the emergent um new and at least very popular for a moment form of television and um you know our uh way of relating and communicating to each other in social media was the breakthrough 21st century moment of, oh, we are different now in like a social space with one another, whereas like it was limited to physical interactions or um, very personal, like local interactions. Gawker is kind of the expression of like what a tabloid would be in the 21st century where the barriers, the traditional barriers that had existed, which were not that many, but it did exist. Sure. Um, were torn down in the yeah. sense that even w- for yourselves, you were like transparent in a way that was uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, you're like is... you're like the office. <laughs> you know, if yeah. like the office, if the office is like the new version of a sitcom where it's like you laugh not because like there's a punchline, but because there's like an, a tremendous level of discomfort. Gawker is like the the news, the tabloid version of that. Yeah. I mean, there's a funny way that. Uh, and I don't, but you know, like I, I want to be very clear that I think Gawker is still really good and tremendously important. Interesting. But, uh, and interesting. I, I, you know, the people who are there, I have no, like, I, I, I left not amicably, but the people who are still there, <laughs> I'd still, uh, you know, I think Alex Perrine is maybe the best political writer I've ever read. I He's think not that, bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like Perrine. Um, but the, um, there's a way in which like Gawker was a sort of original and I shouldn't say just Gawker blogs in general were this sort of original version of social media this kind of totally off the cuff almost uh is raw this almost naked conversational sort of, yeah conversational this uninhibited version of yourself that you were just putting forward all the time. And I think something weird that happened to Gawker's place in this particular ecosystem is that the arrival of Twitter and the rise of Twitter and of Facebook and of a million other things meant that there's this lay, this this bottom layer that Gawker always occupied, This the, the Gawker as the place where you would go to bullshit and gossip and you believed in it and you liked it because deep down inside in our black little hearts, I think everybody does love to gossip. Like, you know... Not me. Except for Josh. I would, I think, uh, gossip would never is abhorrent and uh, <laughs> wrong. But that once Twitter arrived to be a, a position even lower than that, all of a sudden Gawker found itself in this in this somewhat elevated position where it was granted a level of sort of power 
and a sense of responsibility that it had never assigned itself. And in fact, frankly, like institutionally found uh, ridiculous that it would be thought in that way. But at the end of the day, (laughs) it had that. And the truth is like, you know, Gawker pulls in or when I was running, it was pulling in 16, 17 million people a month. I think it still is. I, I'm not saying it's 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 worse. I'm not when just saying Max was running. It was very successful. <laughs> I have no can't idea speak what to the, its current level. Of I think it's still doing. Very, I can't imagine it's doing any worse than that. I just, Let's mean, just I, say I'm he not can't, looking he at can't the, say, but I'm saying there's there's 15, 16 million people reading it every month. There is that's, that's power. That's it's serious, genuine power. Yeah, and, I mean, Anderson Cooper reads it. Yeah, you bet he does. <laughs> Anderson Cooper reads and loves it, or loved um, it up until you published this post. Uh, well, I don't think he loved it because for years uh, <laughs> before and a little bit when I was a staff writer there, uh, Gawker was hounding him to come out, trying to, to out publicly him, trying to out him. Well, well not trying, kinda, but, no, but can we just say, can, uh, let's get real for a second, mm-hmm. okay? And I don't think this is your trip. I want to say Gawker has had a trip for a very long time, and there was a period where the trip sort of made sense. <laughs> and knowing like the founder and owner of Gawker, like yeah. I understand, like a, there's a certain, like I totally understand it. And like, you know, it's by the way, if you're like 20 years old, it's almost, it's actually hard for you to remember a world. First off, a non Gawker, a post, a pre Gawker yeah, world, world doesn't exist for you, but also like a world where like homosexuality, gay, being gay yeah. was like a really, Ser- big fucking deal. I, I I feel like I was the last year of that, and I just want to point out. I feel like a lot of the times the distinction that you're talking about is that Will and Grace was subversively funny, and Glee was annoying. Yeah. But that was about maybe four year difference. You're but saying you're four- saying Glee's like the post. We okay, we yeah. got a gays exist. It's like all right, shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah. about it. But on Will like, and Grace, okay, you, you, like were music- like, you like musicals. Yeah, Will and Grace, you were like, ah, oh, he's so funny. But on Glee, you were like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so 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 that's, that's a. I mean, also great. That's great material, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's an essay. You guys, it really, that. really is. That is really uh, something I'd like to publish. Um, but like, so you know, people were like, "Ricky Martin is he or isn't he?" And it's like yeah. now I'm like, who fucking cares? One, who's Ricky Martin is what you would say if you're 20. <laughs> like, who's Ricky Martin? And two, it's like no one gives a shit. Yep. You know, but there was a period where people really gave a shit, yeah. right? And like, you know, like in Hollywood, if you were gay. Like this was a real thing. Like yeah. if somebody was outed, it was like the end of their career. A man, it's like, oh, he's into guys. We, we can no longer cast him in a role where he pretends to be into women. Even like if that has worked for yeah. 20 years prior. I mean, there's still people. Like Harrison Ford, look at him. I mean, his whole career was blown apart. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's very I strange. I wish. Very strange. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, at any rate, but uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, there are still people who would argue. So like one one thing that I I is is very clear to me now is that i I, as a straight guy and as a sort of a boringly uh straight guy i probably shouldn't think very hard or even really have an opinion or or kind of step into this particular mire there's a lot of people who still think of outing as an important political radical political tool that there should be no such thing as the closet but there's also a lot of people more people who are like who gives a shit can i just say if, and I think that I just want to say, like, I think that there is like the undercurrent of the publishing of that story and the undercurrent of many of the Gawker stories is actually a belief. Yeah. And a, a belief, um, a philosophical sort of foundational idea that um, if people won't out themselves, they need to be outed yeah. because like it, it furthers like the cause of, of absolutely yeah. uh, of like equality. 
But what I was saying is that was true during Will and Grace. Like I, I, when I was a teenager, to find out someone was gay was so important to me. Who was, who was gay? Who was actually gay on Will and Grace? Deborah Messing. Uh, j- j- well, well, Sean Hayes was gay, but 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 he was I was the only actual gay person, but he wasn't out, and so to know that but was a Will big, Will not gay, not gay. Yeah, but it it's was important of, yeah. to me. But then there came a time where it was it was it more was important no to me important. that we that that the public showed respect for yeah, gay people, sure. right. even if they're in the closet. But that line changed was in 2000 maybe 12 maybe sure. 2013. Oh, so you think it was, it was that it was that this? recent yeah it was a while ago so 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 you would there was a point where you would say you would argue for i would have outed someone immediately just so someone else would know really? gay people can have success oh and I there's a, i mean the, the, there's I, an, can i, I say yeah. not as a non-gay person as a mostly non-gay person um uh, i feel like, like i wouldn't want i wouldn't want anybody to say anything about me to anybody else because like that's my shit there was a time when I thought like, let's just out people and like, let's make this a thing. And now as, as somebody who's in a mature gay culture, I can say that's not necessarily true. We don't need to be like no holds barred. Right. But you're saying like brute force was necessary. Brute force is necessary when Mm. I was a teenager and, and, and like, and, and there was no, I remember going to the library and looking up what gay is. Nowadays you don't need that. And I can't see it from that perspective and actually hearing you say it and saying it in that way. I'm like, Oh, I kind of get it. I like, because it's so fucked up. Because it's so fucked up for like people who who are like living that. Yeah. To like not, not like be able to be parents. like, hey, this is like, yeah. Like, if you're an ethnicity, your parents are like, yeah, we're this thing. When you're a teenager, you're like, you want to find anybody Anyone who shares it. So at, at the yeah. time, That's like, interesting. It, at the media, I was rooting on outing people. I was with Pres <laughs> Hilton, but not in 2015. But, but so, not now. Now but, I feel bad. <laughs> another, now I feel like an asshole. I mean, I think another thing that happened was that the way like culturally we think about sexuality changed a lot such that like maybe 10 years ago we still thought about like gay and straight as a real binary and i think there's a real sense that that's so it's like it's I mean, not I've just that you're outing yeah. person it's it's like well this guy we're, we're are we outing him as gay or are we outing, outing him as just sometimes he fucks dudes right and that's just exactly something he does exactly and um, and th- so that actually was my not to get into no, the no. weeds on this, <laughs> but my biggest gripe about the piece was like, we don't really know, like, and you guys didn't really know no. the details of like what it meant that he had like a guy that he was paying for sex or whatever, who yeah. was ultimately kind of like black, quasi blackmailing him. Yeah. Like, like the reality is like, we don't know. It does his wife know? Does she not know? Like, there's no way of knowing. No, and if it's just like, you know, because sexuality is fluid, I think, as we're all discovering. Yeah. Certainly, if Morrissey were here and wanted to make out with me, I would probably make out with him. I mean, the young Morrissey, not my current Morrissey. (laughs) I mean, I'm, you know, current, it's a story. I don't know. I (laughs) guess you would want to tell, you'd be like, okay, I will make out a little bit because, like, it's more. I'd kiss, no tongue. No, I'd I'd go. I'd I'd have to go tongue. Uh, You want to know, is he getting good at kissing? (laughs) Um, At any rate, but like, yeah, so that's like an interesting point is that, or whoever just made the point about sexuality being relatively fluid. So our whole perspective, like my my daughter will not live in a world where she will laugh her, her ass off, I think, when people are like, like we used to be really worried about who was into guys and who was into <laughs> girls. And I hope like, so. I mean, it's already happening. Like, if you live in New York, for sure, yeah. you meet people all the time, and they're like, ah, whatever. Who gives a shit? Like, nobody gives a shit. I will say the the one other thing I'll say is that uh, one particular thing is about this case and about the cases like the outing that Gawker has done in the past is that g- since the 
let's say 2012, is that what you said, Ryan? Like the 2012 line, which we'll just sort of arbitrarily say is the moment at which outing switched. <laughs> I'm from just talking being... about when I graduated college, <laughs> but absolutely, I think that was near no, the I think moment. that was the paradigm is when Ryan graduated college. Well, so, so that at some point after the point where like outing just anybody in power became fair game, it was still sort of fair game. And fair game is such a weird thing because there's a, there's a host of reactions here. It was still fair game to out people who were in positions of influence in terms of the politics, for example. So like Gawker wrote a lot about Shep Smith, uh, who is gay and who has a boyfriend and wait a second. Fox News is Shep Smith. Fox News is Shep Smith. He's gay. Next thing you'll tell me, one of their anchors is in Scientology. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? Who? Right. And Wait, so, who? Um, Greta Van Susteren Greta is Van really Susteren's big a major Scientologist, Scientologist but but she does pieces about the war on Christmas. So. <laughs> I was just who was I just <laughs> listen to somebody? Oh, Juliet Lewis just did a stern interview and talked about being like a Scientologist. She's a Scientologist? I didn't know that either. <sighs> I was like, oh, that's so I surprising. I love Julia Lewis, man. That sucks. Hey, you know, you I'll never what? watch the other sister the same way again. <laughs> well, Giovanni Ribisi is a major Scientologist. Also a huge Scientologist. And can I just say something, you know what, in the way she says it, you know, everybody has their own relationship with mm-hmm. uh, with spirituality and belief. And, you know, she has hers that's grounded in Scientology, which was created by L. Ron Hubbard. And works on child like, slaves. Like, like, 40, Judaism. Like, also, 40, like 45 years well, so ago. So here's the question. Can you, can you blame celebrities for being Scientologists when they get the motorcycles and the cruises and they don't ever have to be child slaves and they don't even know? Can I just say, say I don't know about the, this child slavery, but it seems like Scientology is like a pretty good gig. Like, like it <laughs> celebrity seems like Scientology. Yeah, yeah, celebrity, celebrity Scientology. Scientology. I, don't I, don't, I don't know about the rest of it. I don't know about the rest of it. I don't know about the rest of it. But uh, I I've met some Scientologists, having met and spent some quality time with Tom Cruise, which is 20 minutes in the green room. <laughs> uh, I got to say, Scientology looks pretty good from here. Well, and he, look how, he, he looks so young. He's, he looks 10 years younger than he is. You know what? You joke, but that guy's a fucking god walking yeah. this earth. Oh, he's a machine. He's like, you ever see the movie God's yeah, in Egypt? Yeah, according like to Scientology, act- <laughs> he actually is. <laughs> <laughs> what level opera, what OT level he's is he? He's clear, which is above OT8, which means he can he, move he, stuff with his he mind. He has telekinesis. Yeah. Oh, my God. He can speak in any language and you'll understand him, which makes me question his accent work <laughs> have you seen far and away that's a fucking perfect irish accent he wasn't clear he wasn't clear per- no that's right he was like ot7 or something he, like he had to get there give him a fucking break man oh. anyhow okay shep smith back to shep smith no i just that you know like the the the, the question of outing was sort of I don't want to say settled, but like it's it's a weird spectrum and a weird continuum that has a set of politics that Gawker has actually been at the center of for a long time. And that, you know, had I been a better editor and a smarter person, I would have been a lot smarter about navigating back then. I, I want to be clear, too, while I'm on the record that yes, the story is my fault and the buck stopped with me. And <laughs> wow. In every way. This, have you said this publicly? I, I'm, I'm more than happy to say it publicly. Okay, good. It was, Let me ask you a question. Do you re- do you regret publishing? You already said that. Yeah. Having to do it over again, you would not have published the story. Uh, sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, no. Here's what I would say: I, I regret publishing it the way it was published and at the time it was published. I the the thing I have said, and because I I hate this kind of I I hate doing the like if I was in that position again, would I do the same thing? Because well, you don't like that. Well, I don't know. It's it's this no like I get valid, it. No but I mean, believe me, I have relived that day many times in my memory. But it feels like a kind of. Uh, I have a lot of information now that I didn't then. It's unfair. <laughs> it's unfair to the guy on that day. I will say we <laughs> unfair to the old Max. To old Max. Max yeah. who didn't know how how, yeah. how dumb a move it young, was of all this story. 
innocent Max. I will say this: I we we hustled to get the story done uh, for a bunch of dumb reasons. And if we had been, if I this the thing I should have done as the editor, and something that I will take with me forever is I should have sat down and said, "We need to sleep on this, and we're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and we're going to read this with fresh eyes, and we're going to think about what we're actually doing here, and." adjust as necessary and you know i think there was there 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 was like a lot of kind of we just need to make sure that it's true and get it out there and right. that ended up that ended up actually being the worst possible thing with this story because what mattered a lot less than the question of its truth was the question of how it was being positioned and sold and put out there right and that and that i mean like that's the thing i regret more than anything else is not it you know as an editor is not protecting my writer not protecting my the institution that i was in charge of not thinking about how the thing that we thought was important was going to be received by our reading public because in the end like as an editor your job is to do those things is to protect your writer is to protect the thing that you're in charge of and it's to make sure that your readers like your core readership the people who love you the people who want you are going to receive the thing that you're writing and get it and care right. about it and and it's going to meaningfully affect them it and, speaks it speaks to yeah. them and i feel like i failed in all three of those respects wow this is very quotable stuff i can't wait to see the many many news stories written well i figure about we're it. what like 40 minutes into this so everybody 40 oh Oh, I think stopped. we're way beyond forty. Right now, where everybody stopped. <laughs> I don't know how far. How far? How far into it are we're, we? We're uh, a solid hour before edit. Yeah, Ryan, okay. let me ask you a question. As a gay man, I think you're a gay man. I don't know. I, uh, well, you know, it depends on the day. Um, you you know the story. Yes. What was your reaction to it? I had just. I you had, can be brutal, Ryan. I don't. I mean, I've heard it all. Yeah, just give this at guy. At first, shit. I said this is juicy as fuck, and I read it. <laughs> <laughs> then I I thought about I had just read John Ronson's book. Um, to be publicly shamed. And mm-hmm. I don't love John Ronson, but mm-hmm. I liked the idea of the book. And what I thought was interesting was you talking about Gawker having been the original Twitter in a way was that the idea was that we were published. It People thought you were publicly shaming somebody rather than reporting. Yeah. And you felt like once some people turned on you, they were publicly shaming you for doing your job. Yeah. And the layers of learning in public was interesting to me because we don't let people learn in public anymore. And it was your job to hold people yeah. to you were an idiot. Jesus, and then you were held as an idiot. Oh, totally. Yeah. So what I felt was, and, and it's still how I feel, is that things changed and you were the person to tell us or you were the example to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> and the that sucks. So there should have been you, like a little bit more leeway. Do you feel like you were not... Not to be overdramatic and also sure. not to, to undervalue what happened to the person you reported on. Do you feel you were, you were kind of burned at the stake for something? No, I, I actually don't. I, I me personally, you I mean, they, I, I got some Nick, shit. You think Nick Glenn, threw you under the bus? <laughs> a little bit. You know, no about no that? comment. <laughs> Glenn, oh, no comment means yes in, in this context. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald wrote like a big thing that is still in my Google results that I'm still annoyed about. But the the person that I, like the 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 people who sort of ended up getting really screwed for a set of decisions I made were my boss, Tommy Craggs, who went to the mat for me and who, like, you know, ended up resigning over, essentially over a, a completely different issue, but one that ran up against this terrible story. The writer, Georgian Sardin, who is the one who I assigned the story to and who, you know, I, I don't think would have written or, or wanted to write it like this or would have written it like this if if he had been given any kind of sort of more leeway or more choice or if, if I hadn't, you know, been pushing him. So in that sense, it's sort of like, I, I, I feel what I got, I brought on myself. And like, at the end of the day, 
I hate to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to underestimate harassment on the internet. I don't want, but like, I kind of buy into the Tyler, the creator, you know, close your eyes, like walk away from the screen. Like, I can't pretend that I, I, I lost sleep, but I probably deserve to lose sleep. Like, that's the kind of thing. But did, but did you feel like at some point when you say like something went wrong and we hear you, did you feel like, okay, that's that. Like we hear you. It's enough. I think so. My preference, what, what I would have done or what I wish we had done is, uh, I don't think we should have issued an apology, actually. I think we should have brought in a third party to run like an ombudsman kind of. I think it's the kind of thing where once we once we had involved ourselves, we were involved. And there was nothing we could do or say or do anything with that was going to change that. So like to your point, it would be great if we lived in a world where saying, we hear you, we're so sorry, stopped the Twitter thing. But it's not ever going to. I think that... Okay, hold on. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Okay. Because we're getting into it now. <laughs> and I brought Ryan into it, and I thought you made some really good points just now. <laughs> like, you could have been like, you know what? I mean, you could have done a full May Culpin said, this was the wrong story to publish and the wrong way to publish it, and pulled it down or redacted it. I mean, eventually Nick did pull it. Yeah. But... You could have said as the editor, well, so initially you defended because initially you defended the story, but you could have, but you, you know, you could have said, you know what? I've had 24 hours to reflect on this or six hours or whatever. When well, the, I didn't, sh- to be clear, I didn't even have 24 hours. I was, right. I was, I but was gone the within the fan, 12. But the shit hit the fan in like six. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was well, really bad, really quick. I mean, I was at a party at Nick's apartment that night with a bunch of other Gawker writers and editors when we realized. And I tweeted, which was a very dumb. This is like Glenn Greenwald, again, not to call him out because he's a, I hugely respect him. And I, I, I obviously listens to the podcast. I wouldn't want to. You know, <laughs> I'm sure Glenn is listening right now. But I, you know, he wrote an entire post about my tweet, which I, and I, I regret the tweet as much as anything else. It was a stupid way. This to is the tweet that was like, given, it was like, it given, was like, given the chance, Gawker will always report on a married media executive fucking around on his wife. Right. Which is, which was true at the time and very not true now. Yeah. And, but also was true like for Gawker in 2009. Yeah. And might not have been true for Gawker. Turned out to not be very but true like, for Gawker. But like you had to learn that. Let, so, yeah. so somebody, somebody there had to learn, had to learn yeah. the lesson. Well, I know. I mean, I, I will say in. Somebody could have also assumed that it was true. I mean, it's also the. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, like, you could have been like, okay, actually, let's look at this. Not you, but there were a lot of other people involved. Well, so but- I will say, so the 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 the, the things I'll say about the the question of should I said I'm so sorry and all this is like one, this happened extremely quickly, and I don't, you know, you've been, it, I imagine, it was very quick in this at the center of certain kinds of like, and institutions don't respond well quickly to stuff, and you're dealing with internal politics in a way that you didn't realize you were, and so, but I also think. Even at the time, and in fact, especially at the time, it felt then the one of the, the biggest reason that we objected to pulling the post down, besides the fact that sort of business interests were given a say in it, is that you can't make a name for yourself as the guy throwing bombs. And then the minute you throw a bomb, be like, oh my God, like, I'm, I'm so fucking sorry. Like, I'm so, like, look, <laughs> right. you take your lumps. You stand there, and right. this is why I'm saying you hire Eric Wemple or somebody. You, you find somebody smart who, Wemple, who's willing, well, I don't know. He was just. You became a gawker story, <laughs> yeah, which is. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> I mean, well, this, which in some way, probably a lot of people it was, well, it was an, And it was inevitable, I think, too. <laughs> right. And I, But I, I guess my point, more to the point is like, the, the, there's a lot to say about maybe we should have said sorry, maybe we should have figured out a way to handle it, but the taking it down felt like a bridge way too far. That like we if we stood for anything, it was 
it was like it was when we fucked up we stood up and we let people throw shit at us and and and, <laughs> yeah. and, and tr- tr- trying to hide that trying to sweep it under the rug like the and and especially i will say too the other context of this is that we'd made a huge uh we made a lot out of BuzzFeed taking down a, a like a number of a huge number of posts earlier in the year, <laughs> yeah. which is like you. The last thing you want to do is spend all your time, you know, dancing on those posts' grave, and then be sure. like, "Oh, but we fucked up too, so now we're going to do the, the same thing." Well, okay, yeah. And by the way, we can talk about this for hours, and I don't want to because yeah. I think we've already like we've done exactly what I did. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm but sh- I can't not talk. I mean, I've spent so much time and thinking I, about and it, I, and, and mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it too. And I actually didn't, and I don't. Hey, here's what I here's what I think about it. Ultimately, is that like people fuck up. I'm not saying like, hey, you fucked up. Like you know, <laughs> no. people like, people make decisions that aren't like the best decisions, and then like fucking we all like life goes on. Sure. And and there's nobody in this world who hasn't made a decision they regretted or went back and said like, oh, you know what? I could have been more nuanced in my whatever. My goal was not to like rake you because I because <laughs> I think you're a very talented, smart Thank guy, <laughs> and like in the grand scheme of things, this is like a very minor like whatever miscalculation yeah. if anything we'll see uh well we will see won't we <laughs> um but but uh i i think it's like you know when you're in a time in a place in an environment there's a certain culture it's like really hard like in that moment it's really hard to be like oh i see the universe I've zoomed out of the universe yeah. and I see it as it is and like I'm going to make all the right decisions like it's very fucking hard especially in a newsroom especially in well, this is 2015, but in a modern <laughs> right, newsroom. Yeah. And this is actually like, this just happened with the Daily News and right. the Sean King stuff, yeah. where it's like, there's a breakneck pace. And you guys wrote about it actually mm-hmm. on Select All yeah. slash following. Yeah. Um, so breakneck pace, there's like technology that gets in the way of you doing your job or helps you do your job. And maybe you don't like know all about that technology. And like, the reality is that, that um, uh, the, the, like, there's a way, like in a different age, this kind of, story would have been contained in a way that was like you could deal with yeah like that everybody could deal with yeah in our age it's it's like there is no it's it's just like the gasoline the floor is soaked with gasoline yeah and it's just we're just waiting for somebody to drop a match yeah and once the match is dropped like everything is on fire for as long as possible you know yeah. and like there isn't you don't get like there's a, nobody has a there's no extinguisher there's no bucket of water and i will say too i mean one thing about gawker in particular is that it has built up a 12 year store of enemies who are more than happy to come out 12 years anytime. of gasoline yeah and and i like look i mean i you say that it's really hard in a newsroom to sort of figure out what the culture is and be able to and like the the final thing i will say about it is that and this is the mia culpa is finally as the editor right that's my job the 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 sort of the final job of somebody who's in charge of something is to step back for a minute and say you know what like this is this is not the way we should be going about this. And the fact that I wasn't able to do it was as good a reason as any to walk away from Gawker. Like right. you know, if you can't handle that particular kind of heat, if you can't handle that particular kind of pressure, because if you can't literally be burned alive <laughs> in the middle of a, of a gasoline soaked room, right? Get out of the room. But well, that's why it makes somebody who I'm not naming names, but somebody who owns a publication saying the buck stops there look a little silly right (laughs) well i mean this is like this is the this is always the dynamic between publishers and editors and i this like that's just the way it works (laughs) somebody's throwing somebody under yeah there's always a bus and there's always somebody underneath it and you know it's beautiful i mean look and the thing is too i can't like i i want to be clear i'm also not complaining i have a phenomenal job now like i i feel like as as these things go i have landed very much on my feet like this is not like oh i'm so sad nick fucked me over like this is the way it should have happened the way it was i'm sorry i feel 
we spent a lot of time on this, and I didn't intend. I actually didn't intend to. I was kind of kind of like, well, let's well, talk is, about it's for, to to people who care about this stuff. It is really interesting. <sighs> I wanted to talk about. Let's switch gears really quickly. I, I know we got to wrap up. <laughs> I want to talk about the state of. This is actually has a good segue. Yeah. And probably a good place to leave it. Like <laughs> the state of media. I mean, this is our this is our world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I just wrote something about it. We talked yeah. about it a little bit before we got started, or maybe I don't I don't remember if we were actually recording at that point. But, <laughs> but I wrote this thing about like you know the media landscape, which is actually like a pretty depressing. Yeah. If you're in it. Yeah. I don't know if, but I also think if you're not in it, it's depressing. And and part of the you know I wrote this thing on Medium. I'm not trying to be self promotion. No, no. I just want to say. Uh, but people should I recommend that people read it Every, the first thing them. I've written on Medium <laughs> which I've avoided sure which I could talk about actually kind of goes in line with like my problems with modern media <laughs> like I think Medium's interesting and good in some ways and also horrible in other ways but um, I just basically wrote you know what I thought was wrong with media in mm-hmm. 2016 and, and, and that like we are looking for the sort of magic trick to solve those problems and I'm curious like having you've been through a particular, like a particularly uh, rough <laughs> part of, yeah. like you've been, Gawker has always been, first off, like it's very much of like the new world. Yeah. In the sense that Gawker is from scratch. Totally. It's not the New York Times. It's not the Atlantic. It is like something that just happened very recently. It's yeah. one of the most new, meaningful media organizations we've had, independent media organizations that yeah. we've had. I mean, actually- find an equivalent by the way i don't want to give like gawker a ton of credit because there's shit that gawker does and i'm like this is this sucks but there's also a lot that they've done and that nick has done that is really laudable and important and yeah and so you cannot deny the value of something like that and in fact like when i look at gawker i kind of when i look at the landscape and gawker in the landscape i'm i mourn the promise that a gawker um, provided, which is that like we were going to build new independent media organizations yeah. that did things differently, spoke differently, um, used technology differently than the organizations that existed. And I feel like we're we're in a place now where like the threat of that existing, like the threat to that existing, is probably the most important problem that we have to solve. Yeah, I think that's, so. that's my opinion. I think the problem is that, you know, and this is something you sort of spoke to, the systems that create and sustain media right now are so brutal and so difficult to for to overcome, no matter how smart and good and funny and uh, intelligent you are, the scale at which media now needs to exist. And this is the thing I thought was great about your Medium post is something that maybe doesn't come up often enough and should come up more is that when we talk about the level, the, the size of audience you have to sustain to be a successful independent media company, you're talking about, you know, 16 to 20 million people monthly. Like, and that's enormous. I mean, that's and so many people. That's so many people. At its, at its peak, um, subscriber based Time Magazine had 5 million subscribers in, exactly. in America. And look, Time Magazine. 5 million subscribers is, she would shit on it now. If somebody told you I've got 5 million uniques, they'd be like, that's nice. Yeah, who cares? But this is, so this is one reason why podcasts are so interesting right now is podcasts have managed to f- sort of figure out a way to make a little bit of money, you know, uh, pointing only towards a, f- a fairly small segment of people. And one thing I was sort of obsessed with, 
and this is like I'm you know is the the idea of how many so if you want to write something smart if you want to do something smart what's the size of audience you can actually expect on a monthly basis when we were at Gawker we used to say it was like 10 million I actually think it's a little smaller than that but I also think that the other part of it is like you can't just say oh we're going to do something smart and whatever it is it's going to be smart you have to think about like okay we're smart like I was talking with a, a really smart editor at New York uh, Genevieve Smith and she was saying well you know it's not just being smart Cat Fancy was the biggest magazine in the United States for a long time or no, one of the biggest not true. maybe not the biggest that's but one of the biggest stat. it was enormously successful she's running bullshit on you Cat Fancy was enor- <laughs> I, I, she didn't say that I want to be clear I, I want to Cat Fancy still exists I believe it does maybe as a website <laughs> I don't know but the point is that like <laughs> would it I don't think so what Cat like, Fancy oh, had really nice pictures of cats like no that's but, no but here's the thing is this is what you don't understand is that Cat Fancy had an audience it had serious right. cat enthusiasts I believe it and that was that was what made Cat Fancy successful now it turns out everybody's a serious cat enthusiast <laughs> well people like pictures at least to be a real they like moving pictures more than anything but i guess my point is that the 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 problem we're facing now is that you have to find an audience of you know 15 to 20 million people to have a sustainable independent publication but you which means you have to be kind of as you said in your post you have to be for everyone meanwhile you're competing with facebook which has an audience of one and a half billion people Mm -hmm. but which is tailored for every individual user and tailored right. very actually you know i complain about facebook tailored very well their ability to target user. actual audiences is really good right so media companies are stuck in this horrible middle where they have to both reach for a huge number of people while also trying to tailor it for each one of those people whereas facebook is reaching for way more people and tailoring it way more specifically and now nobody's ever going to say that facebook is as good as a great as new york magazine is a great publication Interesting like choice. but when you're waiting in line Facebook's going to have new stuff because it has that. I know. actually think Facebook has a problem with new stuff. I mean, if I, I <laughs> well, mean, honestly, their news, yeah. feed, their news feed like, is, tends to be yeah. quite repetitive. No, that's true. And, and they're, they're having trouble. I mean, and, and the, the most optimistic I can be is thinking that like people, the sort of the, the rise of context collapse means that people are kind of ceasing the frequent posting to Facebook. I mean, like I was saying earlier on the podcast, like I spend more time in my group messages on iMessage and in my uh, Slacks and group me's and whatever than I do, you know, on on Facebook these right. days. I think a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. And, but well sorry. No, um, go ahead. No, I and so I think that the 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 Facebook there's a there's a potential sort of like, you know, Facebook could potentially like the Facebook news feed. Let's not say Facebook as a company because Facebook as a company is, means a million different things and right. Messenger will be around forever. But the news feed is like the great competitor to media organizations. There's a chance that it could be not toppled but diminished in influence and in, in competitive power. But uh, I think it doesn't mean that the challenge goes away. You know, because it's also like the question is how can you make a, com- a publication that is as compelling as, you know, chatting with your friends, you know, gossiping with your friends, like hearing about new things from people you love and care about. And I think it's possible. I don't think it's impossible. Like, I, you know, I'm optimistic enough to think that, like, in fact, I know that I've written things that are better than texts that my friends have gotten. Right. Um, but I also know that... The, <laughs> I would hope. The te- well, <laughs> well, you know, I, I've gotten some really good texts. Yeah, you're probably life. pretty. pretty <laughs> I've got some great texts. You could circle. But I also know that the texts are uh, easy to generate. And free and will always come. <laughs> right. And also have like an incredible personal nature yeah. that is exactly. not like a story. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like the best stories reach you on a personal level, but they're not like about like going to the movies. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, it's like J.D. Salinger did yeah. write a book about. <laughs> 
and you know like you guys going to see the force awakens like, <laughs> no should be a fucking amazing, <laughs> i mean i would love to read amazing the book. salinger force awakens book. yeah but i do a hard r there didn't i salinger <laughs> salinger you know he's a he's a guy who doesn't like to have his face uh, seen and he doesn't like his name pronounced right there's either. a there's a biography coming out and it has the worst title a biograph- biographical movie i think and it's called about, what's about, it called the rebel in the rye that's fucking terrible that is the worst title of it and i hate to do this but we have to wrap up that's fine we've spent uh, a lot of time talking hopefully not too much about um (laughs) one thing that you did that a bunch of people didn't like (laughs) well i'm hoping that everybody tuned out way when we started talking about phones i hope so (laughs) ryan do we spend too much time on that i think i think it's a declaration of look i learned my one mistake and now read my (laughs) blog it's perfect (laughs) anyhow max you can find him on uh select all dot com mm-hmm. aka nymag slash select all that's right uh he's also on twitter at max reed underscore max underscore reed didn't know that didn't care uh, i guess i follow you but uh, it's hard to say <laughs> you can find him on facebook at max reed just no, no at but just for you know facebook. By the way, max is short for malcolm ah oh, interesting really yeah okay not maximilian nope that's what I say in our home when I talk about you. I, I mean, you you're welcome to. Nice people people, okay, you, people do it. How often are you bringing him up at home? Pretty often, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and Laura are very close. So Laura, I hear a lot about Matt. We didn't say at the beginning. The full disclosure is that Laura is a co-organizer of IRL Club. So, you know. That's true. Laura is a co-organizer of IRL Club uh, with Max. Uh, Malcolm. Malcolm. Reed. Malcolm Reed. And, uh, and so I hear a lot about him because they're always uh, chatting. Anyhow, Max, thank you for coming on. You've got to come back. I would love to. I'd this like to. Been... Ha- I'd like to continue this conversation, particularly about media, and not berate you for half of it. <laughs> uh, it's important to be berated every once in a while. Hopefully, you don't feel like I was too hard on you. Not at all. I'm sorry. It just happens. It's no, no. Quite out of my control. I, I, I want to be very you. clear. I want to be very clear. It has been a, you know, what, almost a year now of being genuinely berated by much, you know, yeah. worse people. And fuck those people. <laughs> as I just want to say. So thank you for coming on. And thank you. And do come back. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Though a story has just been published about your family on Gawker. And it's very bad. Very, very bad. <laughs>